And so we have to fight that much harder to stay healthy through this transition. Nothing to do with your weight, you know, and everything to do with optimizing your body's ability to live without estrogen or considering estrogen replacement. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Topp of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder that this podcast is for general education purposes and not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And while Dr. Mary Claire Haver is a doctor, she is your doctor, so we always recommend you see a licensed health professional accordingly. That's it. I want to welcome you to the show, Dr. Mary Claire. Well, thanks for having me. I call you that because that is your name on social, even though formally you are Dr. Haver. I have followed you for a long time on social. And I think what is groundbreaking about the work that you're doing is kind of being open and empowering women to understanding what is happening with their bodies as they change into perimenopause and menopause. So you are a board-certified OBGYN and have devoted your life to women's health specifically, having delivered thousands of babies, evidently, according to what I could find out about you in research, but also, you know, working in well women exams and counseling patients, all that kind of stuff. And then now your kind of patients are aging, probably like unlike myself, right? Like I have a 17-year-old, I'm entering perimenopause. And if you start to get a ton of complaints and feedback from those patients, then kind of making that your expertise, which is very cool because for a very long time, women were just kind of ignored or couldn't find information on the change of life, so to speak. And so I'm excited that you're here today to talk about some of that stuff, but also in what it ultimately led you to do, which was creating your online program and now newly published book, The Galveston Diet, which helps women reach their health and wellness goals. And as part of that ongoing research, not too long ago, also became certified in culinary medicine in 2019, specializing in medical nutrition, and then also have opened your own wellness. So Mary Claire Wellness. So if someone does want to make you their doctor, they can work with you through Mary Claire Wellness. And that clinic was, again, out of repeated requests, both from your online presence and the people in your program to be able to come and work with you independently. So I want to thank you for being that leading voice on social media in the realm of menopause education in general. Two million TikTok followers is quite the feat considering I am in my 40s and near immediately decided that it is not the place for me. I had one viral video and I was like, nope, this comment section is not for me. I'm done here. It does require a thick skin. I have it's to a, say. It's a different kind of place. It's just not for me. Um, but you're also very engaged on Instagram for our followers that might not be on TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. And you're also a mom, right? You're just a normal person. So what did I miss? Tell us anything about yourself, please. So I, 
you know, was a traditional OB-GYN trained, yeah, I went to medical school. I did a four-year OB-GYN residency and I, you know, jumped out into the big world of, you know, I'm going to open my practice. I joined a very large gen practice in Houston and within three years decided I want to be back in academics. Just, I have that kind of a brain that thrives on research and studies and I missed being around a teaching hospital. So since 20, oh gosh, since 2005, I've, I was back at the university system where I did my training program and eventually became an OB-GYN program director. So I'm very well versed in academics and studies and, you know, through this whole journey that I've taken becoming, you know, a self-branded menopause specialist because there is no formal training in menopause care, just kind of something I Which took just upon seems my... crazy to me with how much we focus on fertility, that the other side of that we have no expertise or transition for. Very little, very little. And in, in formal teaching training in clinics, there's almost nothing. And so we didn't have a menopause clinic. We were never taught the nuances of how to diagnose, recognize, treat perimenopause, nothing. That was treatment of perimenopause was never covered. And menopause, you know, my last year of training is when the Women's Health Initiative came out which basically destroyed any hope of, you know, most women having access to hormone therapy due to misinformation and a study that was incorrectly, you know, blown out to the national press as hormones are going to kill you. And, you know, that's all been debunked, but we have been very slow to kind of open up this conversation with patients again, mostly because of lack of training and education in this arena. Well, that's super helpful to kind of hear more of your background and what your passions, what part of your passions are, right? Because you also have passions with patients and all this work that you do one-on-one and, you know, with your online groups and stuff like that. I think what always fascinates me about the doctors that we have on their show is that all of them have a passion to help the end user, the client, the patient, whatever it is. And um, I think it's interesting to see how modern medicine has really separated or created a divide from the provider to the patient in a lot of instances with, you know, no, that, you know, suggestion that you gave for this person's health. We're not going to do that. Or you need to jump through 18 hoops before we're going to do that. Like they're the ones with the education and the research and are treating the person and all that kind of stuff. So I have a, a soft spot in my heart for Doctors who are able to continue to fight that good fight without getting chewed up and spit out by the system that is really seemingly created to exhaust people and just wear them down. So I I left that. I left my traditional job in 2018, became a hospitalist. Then COVID hit and I worked harder than I've, you know, more hours than I've ever worked in my life through COVID. And then in 2021, decided that it was time to do what I wanted to do. And it was a lot of guilt leaving, you know, I think the medical system kind of preys on our altruistic hearts. Like we went into this to help people and we go into the system with, you know, best intentions. And then it just beats us down (laughs) with hours and call and weekends and administrative burden and, you know, lack of being able to really help a patient because you're hogtied by insurance and what they pay for and what they want, what tests we can run. And so, you know, I got into a spot financially where I could leave that solid job and pursue my passion, it was really hard. I felt like I was letting down people I'd trained, letting down my bosses. But 
really thank God I did it because now I'm able to focus on such an underserved population, the menopausal woman. And so not everyone can afford to come see me in clinic or can drive to Houston and make a visit, but I can just take all this time I have now because I'm not doing call, I'm not doing surgeries, I'm just focusing on menopause. And so I'm just spending all day reading and researching and I just turned it into TikToks and videos so I can teach the masses across my social media platforms and help them educate themselves so they can make a more informed decision about their menopause care. Well, I appreciate it. And I love following you on social for the work that you're doing. And it has been wonderful to have a woman medical professional support women in a way, as I said, the majority of human history we haven't really had. Historically, I think a lot of us are used to having a male, you know, GYN or OB or whatever the case may be. So I think, too, it speaks volumes that, you know, when I was going through and doing research, one of your pinned IG reels is about how as we age, we need to realize more body acceptance of ourselves, right? When you're in your 20s, you think, oh, I wish I was in my teens. And basically every 10 years, we're looking back and wishing rather than just wishing for that body back or that. Yes. When you felt so mad about yourself and you're like, I was amazing. You know, I was so healthy. I was, you know, climbing mountains and doing all these things. And I was stressed out about a little role, you know, or something. It's just ridiculous. We're defining our health in the wrong way. Exactly. And I think that mentality is one that we don't very often get from medical providers, right? Like instead of how to chase that little roll, the five, 10 pounds or whatever, more like, well, look at what you are doing or can do or you know, let's reduce the inflammation in your joints so that you have more ability to do the things that you want to do and all that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate that. And I think as much as I love all of that work, it's also important for us to feel empowered by kind of ditching diet culture. And so for me, that has been a big part of my journey as someone who lost over 100 pounds with paleo and really leaned into without knowing it diet culture and a lot of the things that are preyed upon mostly women to you know feel smaller right instead of living a bigger life a happier life a healthier life just focusing on being smaller and so I think with so many resources that you have on health and the knowledge that you've already alluded to and we'll get into in the show I'm curious why the focus on the Galveston diet book does focus on weight loss? So the, and that's a great question. And if I could do anything different, one would be to never call it a diet. You know, in medicine, a diet is a pattern of eating. It is not a fad or, you know, and so I never would ask a patient, are you on a diet? It's what is your diet? Let's talk about what you're eating. And, and so not knowing that people would be hesitant to even open the cover because it had diet on the front out of this toxic diet culture fear whatever also my daughter um, who is a senior in college right now is getting her degree in may in nutrition science and she was on the path to become a registered dietitian but decided to take the mcat and is now going to medical school in july and so she has really been someone who for me has tried to keep me evidence-based more body conscious, aware of the fallacies in my own education, knowledge, training on how we think about nutrition, food, weight, and how it relates to health. And so, I mean, it's really been fun to be on this journey, but she's also very critical of me. (laughs) And so she has really been my biggest person who's made me 
open my mind and realize the stuff that I was taught in my own education training that was heavily leaning on cultural bias was absolutely wrong. And having, you know, in my clinic, a body scanner that can measure muscle mass and subcutaneous, learning the differences between subcutaneous and visceral fat and what that means to your health long-term was just, you know, has just really opened my mind and really getting to be friends with obesity medicine specialists who have, I just sit at their feet and listen to all the things that they say and the research that they're doing you know, on obesity treatment and how there's just, it's just not willpower and calories out. It is a, you know, and not using someone's scale number to define their health. I mean, it's a terrible way to measure someone's health, weight and BMI. And so that has been a journey for me. So what kind of started me down the diet path was that was the pain point for my patients. And it became the pain point, the initial pain point for myself. The first thing they were complaining about in perimenopause was what ended up, we, they interpreted it as a change in their weight. And women are gaining a pound to 1.5 pounds a year, but it was a change in body composition. We lose muscle at an accelerated rate beginning in perimenopause, and we substitute that for a very highly accelerated fat gain. And that seems to be where the increases in cardiovascular disease, drug decreased quality of life, osteoporosis, cancer, all of that begins to escalate. We are a lot healthier than men overall until we go through perimenopause and menopause. And then we catch up and lose ground in certain areas related to hormones. Well, I appreciate that perspective. And also as someone who has four teenagers, I literally was just having a conversation with someone the other day about how like the most amount of personal growth I've ever had in my life is being the parent of teens. Like you think when you have toddlers, you know, your your whole life changes and everything about your life is different. But then just for those of you that don't have teens yet and you're a parent, like I think we talk a lot about like the bad stuff that like you're saying your college stage daughter is pushing you to be a better version of yourself. And I think if we listen to our children and we kind of grow from them, it has the opportunity to help us in a lot of different ways like that. And I relate a lot to <laughs> to that perspective. So yeah, I think also the idea that health is not defined by our weight is one that's very difficult from a perspective. Like you said, right. I mean, how many years are we all thought that weight is related to health versus, okay, let's look at the actual concern that you have. It's an actual concern to lose muscle mass. It's an actual concern for our bones to soften. It's, you know, these are actual concern. I think one of the areas that led me to kind of immediately be like, whoa, this is outside of the perception of what I thought about weight is the idea that as we get older, if we look at all cause mortality, that being in an overweight category is actually a reducer of risk for all cause mortality, right? Like underweight and ideal weight individuals have a higher all cause mortality. Right. And so for me, when I think about menopause, I'm like, well, could it be that our bodies are actually gaining weight intentionally because that's actually going to reduce our risk for all cause mortality? Obviously, lose, losing muscle mass is not ideal, however. <laughs> no, if you're, if you're simply putting on subcutaneous fat, that doesn't seem to be that dangerous. The biggest risk is if the fat is visceral, and so which is mostly hormonally driven. It's not due to calories or excess. It's quality of nutrition, increasing cortisol, increasing stress. You end up in this kind of maelstrom of this hormonal dis imbalance, you know, and it's driving fat to the viscera, which in then in turn becomes its own inflammatory organ. But just getting a few more curves. I mean, it's so awesome to look at my daughters who are 22 and 19 and they work out to be strong. 
They don't work out to be skinny. That skinny doesn't even, and they embrace their curves. You know, they're a lot curvier than me and they have these amazing backsides. And, you know, where as a kid in my, at their age, I would have been like mentally beat down by society that those curves didn't represent health and that, you know, I needed to be thin to be healthy. The only reason why you exercise was to be skinny. And so that, that this next generation seems to be breaking that taboo. This podcast is sponsored by Shopify. That's the sound of another business dream coming true. And especially for small business entrepreneurs, we literally do a happy dance every time you support us. And with the resources once reserved for big business, Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Simplify selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business from fashion to frog collectibles. From an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, Shopify even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. I know, because when that Instagram ad hits just right within two shakes of a lamb's tail, I've completed my transaction. If you're overwhelmed by how to start, Shopify has 24-7 help and an extensive business course library to help support your success every step of the way. Because when you win, so do they. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you with the confidence and control to revolutionize your business and take it to the next level. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash whole view, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash whole view to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash whole view. Yeah, I love the idea of owning your body and what works for you. I think in general, there's a lot of blanket that we try to put on everybody, right? And there have been parts of my life where I was a competitive lifter. There's parts of my life where I, you know, was really wanting to be smaller, like I wanting to shrink myself. There's all these different parts of my life. And I think as we have those lived experiences, to see that we're teaching those to our children and hopefully allowing them to kind of break outside of what what might be perceived and instead just like live your truth and feel good and optimize your own health. And I think part of that bioindividuality comes into when I'm looking at diet. So I'm going to use the word diet and I'm going to use it the doctor way. I'm not referring to like a fad diet, but right. if we're looking at the way that we eat. So for example, in the Galveston diet, you talk about intermittent fasting as being an important tool. For me, I'll be straight up. My list, most of my listeners know this. So just to give you a heads up, I don't have a gallbladder. Intermittent fasting does not work for me. I cannot digest food, period. So it's not even about me in terms of like how I perceive this. I have personal friends in my life who love it and swear by it and say it's great for them. I have people who 
maybe will intentionally allow themselves if they're not hungry to not have a meal, but won't like plan an intermittent mm-hmm. fasting window. And then I have people in my life who I know have tried it and been like, it was the worst for me. I, it didn't work for me, all these kinds of things. So when I think about bio-individuality, I think of intermittent fasting as falling into one of those categories that we need to listen to our own bodies. How are we digesting? How is our energy? All of these kinds of things and kind of reacting that way. And I have done shows before about if we are going to intermittent fast, one of the things that I find in the science is that eating breakfast rather than eating a large last meal is the better place to start your fasting window to help with, you know, cortisol regulation, blood sugar regulation, that kind of stuff that we can see that there are, for example, less risks of empty calories at night if we're having breakfast in the morning. So I'm curious when you're looking at and recommending the intermittent fasting window, as you talk about the stint diet, for specifically Obviously, we're talking about women who are kind of in that perimenopause or menopause stage. Where are we kind of coming from? What are the things that we should be looking for, you know, ourselves to see if that's working for us? When we, when I started the research, my whole focus was lowering inflammation with nutritional changes and being, you know, controlling when and how you eat as part of that. And so there was some pretty compelling data that came out of the National Institutes of Health from Dr. Mark Matson looking, and I talk about his research, um, uh, looking at neuroinflammation, Alzheimer's and dementia, and using fasting as a tool to help. And so as far as a weight loss tool, it's pretty much been debunked that fasting is a really good tool for long-term weight loss. It, you can eat a lot of things that will undo any anti-inflammatory <laughs> benefit of fasting. So we, and it's not for everyone, like you said, people without gallbladders, it's tough. People that can trigger an eating disorder. People can be, have hypo, reactive hypoglycemia. So, you know, we talk to people about like, for me, fasting in the morning works for me, but there is a couple of studies that have shown that there might be a slight benefit to moving your fasting window where you break your fast in the morning after awakening, and then you fast in the evening as the bigger part of your window. And, and my daughter actually sent me the studies. And so she couldn't wait to show me because I fast in the morning. And so we have patients who, and followers who kind of, I let them pick their own window of when it's going to make sense in their life. And then we, I tell patients, you know, the studies that I use to, to make, you know, to advise it in the program are, you know, based on around a 16, eight. I don't recommend fast longer than that. I feel like it's habit building. But I'm like, listen, if you eat breakfast at 6.30, usually just push your window to 6.45 and do that for four or five days and see how you feel, okay? If you feel good, you want to keep going, okay? Then push it to 7, then 7.15. And if you ever get to a point in that morning or evening, wherever your window is, that you're like, I'm hungry, you need to eat, okay? This is not about restriction or starvation. If you successfully intermittently fast, it's a window that works for you. There's something magical around hour 12 where we start seeing the anti-inflammatory benefits. And most of those do that naturally anyway. And if you ever hit a wall, you need to eat. And so, and I don't recommend very often going past the 16 hours because you start chewing up protein. You start looking for protein. It's going to get it from your muscles and we run the risk of losing too much muscle mass. And so I try to define health as muscle and fat mass rather than, and what kind of fat you have rather than that stupid number on the scale. 
you know. I think that one of the things that's been interesting to me is to look at some of those studies that have shown that starting with breakfast and then having a longer fast window, so to speak, in the evening also aligns just with the like general health advice of not eating before bedtime, for example. Like if we're getting adequate rest and sleep and we're not eating before we're resting or sleeping, it's going to naturally fall into, at least for me, a 12-hour fast window. Naturally, that is, I'm not intentionally fasting, but that is about like how long my body is resting between if I'm not, you know, consuming foods right before bedtime, so to speak. And I, just so you're aware, like I used to have coffee with collagen and cream every morning. And that was like my breakfast. That's how I could kind of break my stomach acids into activity. And kind of like, then a couple hours later, I could eat without having digestive distress. And I switched from coffee to a smoothie And because I was having cortisol issues and I wanted to get more nutrients in and I wanted to quit coffee for the cortisol benefits. And I immediately saw improvement in my, well, three months later, right? Like I measured my cortisol and almost to a T, three months later, my cortisol was in a normal range after being elevated for almost a decade. And so for me, I really want people to also be aware that these kinds of things are as much as we can do them for ourselves, we need to work with a medical professional to actually check on this stuff because some of the studies would say that, as I was going through, that the people didn't perceive that they had an elevated stress, but that they could measure higher cortisol. Or, you know, if they're working with a medical professional to check how their estrogen or different kinds of hormones related to the HPA axis are resulting, like if you're doing a fast and you think you feel good, but you're not measuring these things, then it could actually be detrimental or vice versa, right? Like well, could- there's been some really two studies that have shown no change in at least sex hormones for females with or without fasting. So they were stable throughout. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I just think that. But no, that's different than the non-sex hormones, than cortisol, yeah. and leptin, ghrelin. Yeah. I just feel like I wish that I had looked at my own numbers and done something different before it was 10 years in. You know what I mean? I'd done a cortisol thing and not really like, oh, of course I'm stressed and just went about my day without realizing all the different things that plays into in our bodies. And I think a lot of people talk about like, oh, I have adrenal insufficiency. Like it's, you know, something you can self-diagnose and then it's fine versus being aware that all of these kinds of things that we do to ourselves have the ability to affect our hormones. And when we're talking about menopause, perimenopause, I want to be working with a doctor to be looking at my hormones on that stuff. I'm assuming, like you run tests for when you're working with people, right? We diagnose perimenopause by symptoms. So, yeah. So there's no blood test that'll accurately diagnose perimenopause. It's a constellation of symptoms where we rule out hypothyroidism and Graves' disease and autoimmune disease and Cushing's, which you were describing earlier. And, uh, And so we make sure that's not going on. And then like what's left is perimenopause. And so, you know, doing these saliva and urine tests have never been shown to be diagnostic. And so I've just really cautioned patients, you know, you can adequately diagnose menopause and perimenopause without a single blood test and begin discussion of. Interesting. 
Okay. I'm literally mind blown by that right now. So I'm trying to process to take it in. It's super helpful. I think, you know, thinking about like ruling out a ton of money too. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, thinking about ruling out, you know, all the other things and then saying, okay, then this is what's happening. And also it's, you know, as we mentioned earlier, so bio-individual in terms of how right. can look for different people, different hormone levels for different people, how long it can be. I was just talking to a friend and she was like, well, I was in perimenopause for over a decade. I was like, oh. yeah, seven to 10 years is the time period and it can wax and wane. So the ovaries, because the, the HPA axis you discussed, because we have the stimulating hormones, you know, so, so your estrogen, you're basically what's happening is like your healthy ovarian tissue is being replaced by fibrosis. It is an autoimmune inflammatory condition. And people born with ovaries are the, we, the only people this happens to is us. And so there's no correlative in the man's testicles do not get replaced with fibrosis and they're all of their testicular tissue destroyed. And so we have advanced endocrine aging in our ovaries. And so you're, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but I get so passionate about this. And I'm like, you know, why is this happening? Why does this happen to us? Well, there's an evolutionary advantage. It behooved us as cave people not to be, we had to take care of the kids we had and kept them fed. And so when you were nursing the children, you're, it naturally suppresses ovulation. So it kept you from having too many kids too close together. And then when, and then there got to a point where you would just keep having kids and that would kill you. And so there became an evolutionary advantage for you to stop being able to reproduce at a certain age um, so that you didn't die sooner. You actually, you know, the life expectancy back then was not that long. But like no one has really figured out why this is happening and why it's so biodiverse, why even identical twins will go through menopause at different times. Like how much of the environment has to do with this versus what we were genetically born with. And that premature ovarian insufficiency, people who go through early menopause, this is a completely inflammatory autoimmune condition. And so when I have a patient come in who's, you know, I want to be checked, I want to be evaluated, most of the blood work I do is not checking sex hormones. I want to make sure I am not missing something else. And that is treatable, you know, as a medical condition is treatable before we launch into treatment options for her perimenopause. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed. Think about someone who has changed your life for the better. How incredible would it be if your company could find more of those life-changing people right when you needed them? Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed's employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. And... Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a shortlist of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. I wish they'd had that back in ye olden days when I got my career break with Indeed. Indeed knows when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. Visit indeed.com slash whole view to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash whole view. Indeed.com slash whole view. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available to everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
It's so fascinating to think about. I'm friends with Jen Robbins, who I think predominantly paleo. I mean, I, don't, I just like right, admire no. her. <laughs> so. She's a good. She's a good friend of mine, and I think you guys know of each other at least. And she is currently going through treatment for you know fibroids causing extensive bleeding and iron deprivation, which That's has so affected her health for so long. Um, and I think you know, hearing you talk about the condition from an autoimmune inflammatory perspective. It's, it's super helpful to think from that perspective because I think it takes the personalization and the guilt and the shame out a little bit, right? Like we're going to age no matter what, and we're going to go through this no matter what, just like we're all going to die. I know it's something we don't want to hear, but it is inevitable, right? Like if we have ovaries, we're going to go through menopause in some sort of way if we're lucky enough to be able to be of age for that. To be of age for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, perhaps because there's so much shame associated with getting old, it's almost like there's, oh, what's wrong with me? Why do I have symptoms of perimenopause? Like, why am I not in like this perfect, pristine state that I am just this naturally happen without me being affected by it? And hearing it be called like an autoimmune inflammatory, you know, physically what's happening from a science perspective, I think helps take some of that personalization and the shame away. I would love to talk a little bit about some of those symptoms that you look for that are associated with menopause that can either be associated with something else that's really menopause at that age or that you know sometimes we don't think that's what's related. I know you you have a long list of things that you're like, these can all be and are often dismissed as being associated with perimenopause. Every single organ system is affected in your menopause. And now you may not notice the symptoms. They may be subtle. You may not notice anything other than your period stopping. But your brain is affected. Your musculoskeletal system is affected. Your skin, hair, teeth, and bones are affected. Your general urinary system is heavily affected. Your thermoregulatory system is affected. Your sleep cycles are affected. You know, none of us is getting through this and there's absolutely nothing healthy about menopause unless you had a condition that was being fed by estrogen like endometriosis or fibroids or, you know, heavy bleeding for whatever, you know, adenomyosis. And then menopause stopped feeding that and that just went away on its own. But other than that, there's absolutely nothing healthy about menopause. And so we have to fight that much harder to stay healthy through this transition. Nothing to do with your weight you know, and everything to do with optimizing your body's ability to live without estrogen or considering estrogen replacement. One of the comments on one of your social posts, I know this is like such a, a dweeby thing to do, but I want to read one of the comments on your post because it really was something that I related to. Um, the commenter said, I had all of those. So I'm going to refer to the symptoms that you put in the post, which was Breast pain, dry, itchy skin, I'm assuming heart palpitations, panic attacks, constipation, dizziness, dry mouth, urinary incontinence, rage, brain fog, belly fat, increased blood pressure, increased cholesterol, insomnia, decrease in sexual desire or wellness, dry eyes, weight gain, headaches. Okay, so that's a lot of symptoms. And this person said, I had all of those and I thought that I was just slow to recover from contracting COVID and related stress of single parenting and teaching in the pandemic. 
when I asked my docs about my unrelenting symptoms, they said, well, you're getting older. It's just to be expected. And I just realized from watching your TikTok <laughs> that these symptoms are menopause. I asked my OBGYN to test my hormones and sure enough, I'm in full menopause. Goodness, I felt like I was going crazy and now it finally makes sense. The Galveston diet is helping me already and I'm starting on hormone replacement therapy next month. Thank you for your advocacy for menopausal women. And I, so first of all, just kudos that there's women out there who are, you know, feeling better and being able to recognize what is happening and advocate for themselves because of the work that you're doing. And I know that this was the exact case for me. What was interesting, I, I don't have all those symptoms, but I also thought that like my brain fog, which was associated with COVID for a while, but then I realized was associated with perimenopause as well as some other things that I had going on, dry skin. And I realized after talking to Esther Blum, who's another female menopause expert, <laughs> you can't see her, but she's clapping for Esther, who was on the show earlier, who was on the show. I was like, oh, it's not just only post-COVID long hauler symptoms that I'm experiencing. These, A lot of these overlap with perimenopause, which not surprisingly also overlap with autoimmune because I also have thyroid issues. But the things that I was seeing, I'm like, is COVID inflaming my my autoimmune thyroid things or what's going on. And then I realized, oh goodness, it's also overlapping with perimenopause. And my cycles have not been as solid as they always were. I'm not anywhere near menopause. I haven't lost my period, but it is interesting to me to think that, um, and I was tested, my estrogen was low, recognizing that you're saying that's not necessarily, you know, how you would go about diagnosing things. But it is personally validating for me to be able to, like, look someplace on a paper and be like, it's not just in my oh, head. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I just want listeners to know that they can do something to feel better. Like for me, I worked with my doctor to address some of the things that were going on. I, you know, worked on my cortisol to try to get some of the other things in line. And in this case, this person, you know, was working with her doctor and the Galveston diet and is feeling better. So I just like for listeners who are feeling like, oh, it's inevitable and it's awful and all these things. It's autoimmune. I don't want that. Like it doesn't have to be bad. So, you know, aging is normal. Suffering is not. Why that we are expected, you know, people born with ovaries to just tolerate suffering and not ask for help or not be given help, you know, and not give a path forward through this. It just, you know, erectile dysfunction is natural. Presbyopia, you know, needing reading glasses. I'm pointing to my glasses. No one judges you for wearing a pair of glasses or I don't know of any man who gets, you know, booed upon for looking for help with erectile dysfunction. Those are all natural parts of aging. And so why should this be treated any differently? If you choose not to go that route, that is your right. But for goodness sake, you deserve the conversation and the ability to make a decision on what's best for your health. If you like to vote with your wallet, shopping with businesses that align to your values, how about switching to Safer Beauty with me? When you shop beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth, you are not only supporting my women-owned small business, but also a certified B Corp that prioritizes sustainability, safety, and scientific testing. We're getting safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws, while also giving back to people and the planet through sustainable, fair trade ingredients. We literally changed America's personal care industry with Mocha, 
And now I've got an exclusive offer for you. Give Beauty Counter a try with code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off your entire order when using an email that's never ordered before. If you don't love it, you have 60 days to return it. No questions asked. And I love helping you pick out just the right thing so you will love the skin that you're in. Email me, stacy at realeverything.com if you want help. Or go to beautycounter.com slash stacytop just like any other website. Choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, and use code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off at beautycounter.com slash stacytop. I could not agree more. We are all needing to live more joyous, happy lives in general. And I think anything that we can do to help us kind of get on that path is always a good thing. With that said, I like to always have listeners leave with something positive, actionable suggestions, so to speak, that they can take to be of service to work on themselves or potentially maybe someone's listening and they want to help their mother or their sister or somebody who might be complaining of, you know, oh, dry skin and headaches and, you know, subtly make some food for them, some flax cookies or whatever it might be. Walk us through maybe some of your ideas that are easy to implement that people can feel like, yes, I can do that. I know you have a list of foods to focus on in the Galveston diet. I love it. And it's not rocket science. It's fruits and vegetables. And (laughs) yeah, I mean, I love the perspective of just like adding things that are nutrient dense versus, you know, being a little careful about the things that are not nutrient dense, you know, trying to fill up on the things that are nutrient dense as the main part of what you eat and reserving the non-nutrient dense for special occasions. I think one of the things that I appreciated and I I owe listeners a show because I've said I'm going to do it and I don't even know like where to go to, to talk to expertise is how much alcohol affects our system. This is one of the areas that you focused on in terms of like decreasing and awareness in the book. And I felt like at least the parts that I was reading did a great job of not addressing it from like a shameful way that there can be wine, for example, from an antioxidant perspective. However, it is one of those kind of like bell curve issues in our diets where when we do too much, it can have kind of a you undo all of the benefits and you end up rolling down the hill. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe do you want to talk a little bit about not just I think it's it's generous of you to say, oh, it's just fruits and vegetables. It's not rocket science. But I do think that there is a lot to, for example, I've tried to replace lunches that I have with adding in like a seafood, right? Like, so I'll make a batch of tuna a week or I'll cook up salmon like one night a week and then I'll have like a piece left over for lunch. It's already in the fridge or I'll keep smoked salmon in the fridge so that I can just like grab it and chew on it. And I think making those choices for myself, like just having options that are easy and fast and don't feel overwhelming take the burden off of change feeling overwhelming after a lifetime of not having seafood for lunch if that you know what I mean like I think that there are some things that we can do to focus on our own health from the perspective of micronutrients making sure we're getting enough protein from a macro macronutrient perspective as being important for maintaining muscle mass as we get older you know like all that stuff is maybe it's not rocket science but it is good to kind of remind ourselves as our bodies are changing because habits are hard to change habits are hard to change and you know we focus on habit change in the galveston diet so you know 
one of the big tips that I have is around movement and, you know, making sure that when you move your body, you're not doing it to be skinny. You are moving your body to be strong. And so you're moving your body with resistance exercises. So strength training for strong muscles and bones. And you are moving your body to get your heart rate going for a strong heart. And all of those work for help a strong brain. You'll decrease your risk of dementia and Alzheimer's. And those kind of like reminding yourself why you're making these choices and what these habits are doing for you. Like I'm terrified of not being able to take care of myself when I get older. I do not want to burden my children. I don't want them to get up when they're raising their own families, which I'm doing for my mother right now. I don't want my children to feel, you know, I want to make sure I'm doing everything I can so that they can live independent, healthy, proactive lives and not be worried about my health. And so, and it's the changes I'm doing right now that are going to set that course for the next 20 years. And so framing exercise like that, I'm not working out to be skinny, that ship sailed, you know, I'm, but, you know, I'm exercising to be strong and to keep from breaking in 20 years. I'm super high risk for um, sarcopenia and osteoporosis. And that's my personal, you know, my biodiversity is that's the cards I got dealt. So I'm constantly pushing protein and doing the resistance training, but I'm like, I'm not doing, you know, I'm doing it so that I can be healthy at 70, you know, and climb the mountain and do the things that I want to do. Lift the grandbabies potentially, no, no pressure on my children if they're listening, but you know, like, like live that healthy, proactive, productive life and not be plagued by chronic disease if I can avoid it. Yeah, it's a great perspective. And I think for most of us, that's when we ask what kind of health or future do you want for yourself, that's how we would define it, right? Like we wouldn't define it from, I want to, I, you, you know, bikini at 70. Yeah. Right. Or like, you know, if we think about it from the perspective of also like what we want our children to learn from us, we do not want our daughters to be worried about 10 pounds. We want our daughters to be worried about living life, enjoying life, you know, to the fullest and to feel strong within their own bodies. And I mean, I would argue also that like there is some element also of healthism to that, that not everybody can be strong in their bodies, but our bodies are still what we have. And if we do the best that we can within them, then hopefully we're living life to the fullest for ourselves and being the best versions of ourselves, both from like a mental perspective, which I really appreciated the focus on brain health that you have both in like your recent social media posts and also kind of from the perspective of DHEA and omega-3 and making sure that we're, you know, helping our brains be healthy. Because for me, I think that there's a severe lack of focus on brain health in the general wellness community. And the idea of, you know, increasing omega-3s and reducing alcohol and, you know, some of the stuff that you're talking about from a neurological benefit perspective, reducing risk of dementia, that kind of stuff is like super important to me because I married my husband because he's super smart. I love that man's brain more than I love anything about him. And I tell him all the time, he makes choices that are not in the best interest of his brain health. And so I'm like, I do not want to be stuck with you without your brain. Like, I will do anything else. So to me, you know, there are different elements of what are important to each of our lives. And I think if we ask ourselves really, truly, like, what do I want? We don't want to be in pain. We want to, you know, live live life to the fullest and as long as we can. And focusing on 
health from the perspective of, you know, nourishing ourselves, hormones, all of these kinds of things. And that means being able to admit, okay, I'm in perimenopause and I'm not a bad person. There's no shame in the fact that. No shame. You know. Yeah. We're all doing it. All the <laughs> Everybody. I, it's shocking to me that like I started talking to my neighbors who are all older than me. And I was like, you guys, I'm going through perimenopause. I'm going through perimenopause. perimenopause yeah. And they were like, yeah, duh. Like we've been here. We're all in full blown menopause. And I was like, why, are, why is nobody talking about this? I was like, are you waking up in the middle of the night drenched in sweat? And they're like, obviously. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, I hope that it can start a conversation for a lot of people. And I know that like your social and being open about all of this kind of stuff only helps encourage that. I know for me personally, I've come a long way in terms of what I'm willing to talk about or be open about in the last couple of years. And I do think that, you know, your social, this podcast, different kinds of things can hopefully open that conversation up for people to you know, share resources too, right? I would love to know who my neighbors are seeing from a doctor perspective and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we don't have community support. We can't, you know, benefit from each other if we're not having those conversations. All right. Well, I want to, again, thank you for being on the show, Dr. Haber. We can uh, remind listeners they can find you at Dr. Mary Claire. Yeah, on TikTok and on Instagram, it's Dr. Mary Claire. And then Facebook, it's Mary Claire Haber, MD. And then we also have YouTube. And But our website is galvestondiet.com. But don't let the name diet fool you. If you go to our <laughs> blogs, we have I have constantly cranking out how to advocate for yourself at your OB-GYN's office, what laboratory testing you should be asking for, you know, the ABCs of HRT of hormone replacement therapy. I just try to provide as many resources as possible. And we're rebranding the website to a more menopause thing, getting away from the diet. Just and, um, and people could find all of your socials from Galveston Diet. Right? Yeah. All, there, at the bottom, there's links to everything. And you know, YouTube has the longer videos. Like if you're suffering from hair loss, I have an hour long video where I just do a deep dive into all the science and you know reasons we are losing hair and treatment options available depending on why you're losing hair. So that's a really popular one. The shorter videos are, you know, Facebook and of course, TikTok, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, if you <laughs> need to learn in bite-sized nuggets. Yes, if you have the attention span of a teenager. <laughs> that's a loving joke. I, I have a neurodiverse family, so I say that from a very loving perspective. Um, anyway, listeners, I want to invite you to join us over on patreon.com slash the whole view, which is the best place to ask questions as well. If you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, Patreon is a great way to support the show, but so is just leaving a review or hitting the follow or subscribe button in whatever podcast app you're using so that others can find us as well. And like I said, we'll put a list of all the resources in the show notes for you. We have tons of studies, the link to Dr. Mary Claire's book, her website, her social, all that kind of stuff at realeverything.com. And thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal change. No one is perfect, but in learning, listening, unlearning, we can become better versions of ourselves. And even for you, Dr. Mary Claire, it sounds like you are actively working on that as well, which makes you Every day. the best kind of doctor, those of us who are curious and want to learn and, and grow. And so I, I appreciate your willingness to let me challenge you a little bit today and have loved talking to you. So thank you. Thanks for having me.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.